we're going to be looking at that. That's lesson. That's chapter 11. Chapter 11. Now, we're going into a new uh, area of the book of uh, Revelation here today. We've been studying about the judgments of God that will come on the earth after the rapture takes place. It starts around about chapter 6. Talks about the four horses of the apocalypse, as it's normally called. Apocalypse means the future and judgment and so forth. And uh, it talks about those judgments come false peace, war, famine, and then just all kinds of death that will follow behind that. And when you get to the end of chapter six, one fourth of the population of the world, there's a roar here. Are you picking up that roar? Can you get that roar out, brother? Uh, I don't know if it's me or you up there, but anyhow, um, there is a uh, one fourth of the world population will be killed in chapter six or by chapter end of chapter six, and then it goes on to talk about in chapter seven and in chapter six and chapter seven that there are some Gentile martyrs, Gentiles. There will be some people who will give their life for the word of God and the testimony they hold during the tribulation period. And the only way that they can be saved is through giving their life. These would be people who have had a knowledge of God or Christ in some measure, but they never had the full knowledge or full understanding of it like you and I have. Folks, let me just say this. I'm going to say this again. I've said it many times before. The church is the greatest thing God has ever put on the face of this earth. This is God's kingdom on the face of the earth. And it was established by Jesus through the apostles and the apostles to the to the, to the people of the world and it was denied and rejected by the Jews and this is where we're going today rejected by the Gentiles it was never given to the Gentiles until Jesus just before he ascended and he told his disciples at that point go ye in all the world preach the gospel go ye in all the world preach the gospel Lord I'm with you always even unto the end of the world he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved he that believeth not shall be damned and so it was the gospel to the Gentiles. It was for everybody. And we'll be looking at the scripture so to confirm all of that in a few moments. But I'm just uh, bringing out here to you here today that this church age, praise the Lord, is the greatest thing that we could be in. But following the rapture of the church, and the Bible talks about the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, it talks about it in several other places where it just simply says that we do not yet know how we shall appear, but we'll be like him, for we'll see him as he is. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. So there is the hope of the resurrection for us to rise and meet the Lord in the air. The Bible says we do not yet know how we shall appear, we'll be like him. Rise to meet the Lord in the air. Be like the Lord. I just found my mic. Are we okay again? Okay. All right. This goes out, Sister Barbara, let me know. Okay. Praise the Lord. Everybody say praise God. Praise uh, let me give you this chart here once again before I get into the lesson that you have in your hand here. Uh, this is, I show this often. And uh, focus. I hit the wrong button. Did I? Okay, I'm sorry. This is what we want right here. This is the uh, timeline chart in the Old Testament here, New Testament here, up to the rapture of the church. Then this is the tribulation period right in here. And then following that is going to be Armageddon. Now, we are in the, about the halfway into the 
tribulation period here, what we're going to go into right now. Very, and there is an abrupt change. There's an abrupt change. This is a, a chart that I have of the book of Revelation. I know that you've seen this other times, but I do it just to bring us up to speed. But this is what we have been studying, all these judgments of God right on down through here. And there's uh, judgments in the earth, like volcanoes and earthquakes and tidal waves. Then there are some heavenly things that will happen, all of those things as judgments against mankind. By the time you get to the ninth chapter, in the ninth chapter, another third of the population is destroyed, is killed by wars and and horrible things that will come on the earth. So that when you get through chapter 9, half of the world population will have, been, will have died. And uh, so you're, you're still battling with this Gentile situation. And then in chapter 10, it talks about a change that is fixing to happen in the book of Revelation. And it's going to do with Israel because God has, kept a, prom- has a promise made to Israel that he's going to keep. It talks about... Uh, John seeing this vision, the 10th chapter, I'm just repeating what we already looked at last week. And that was a rainbow over his head, which means God keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises. He never forgets. Remember that God never forgets, never forgets anything. And uh, then we come to this part here where that everything changes. You see the semicircle thing here. That's because that this deals with a definite time. Uh, If I were to show you a chart here, that would look like just the semicircle. And this is where we're going today. It would be, it's called Daniel's 70th week, and it goes back to the book of Daniel, but chapter 11 here. Uh, and it picks up right here. And we're going to be studying this right now and comparing it and why uh, this is different than all the other parts of the Revelation. And it take, will take us over to Armageddon. And so this is a very interesting time in the book of Revelation that will happen. And remember, this will be after half the world been, has been destroyed. There's all kinds of catastrophes in the, in the world and everything. And God has come to a point where he said, I'm going to keep some promises I've made way back there. Now, in your lesson today, I want you to look at it with me in uh, this lesson. And uh, this is the restoration of Israel. This is what chapter 11 is all about. If you will go, first of all, to 10.7, and I'm just going to reread a verse that you're all familiar with. And uh, this is Revelations uh, 10.7. And it says, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. Now, what we're talking about, the seven angels, was there was trumpets, there was seals, then there there was trumpets that were being sounded. Uh, I don't have the pictures of the trumpets on this one. I think it's the other one here. Yeah, you can see the trumpets. All right, let me get back to this. These are the the seals. And then there's the seven trumpets. And later there will be the seven vials that will be also poured out. And there will be more judgments that God will, will come upon the earth. The vials are over here. I'm sorry, right here. Now... We're going to talk about, so when the seventh trumpet sounds, this one right up here, the the last trumpet, then it opens the door for this period of time that will come on the earth right here. Now, let me uh, go back to this chart here. This is what we're looking at right now. If you look with me here again in 10-7, 
but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished as he hath declared, the mystery of God. And we talked to you last week about what the mystery of God was. And just as a quick reference only, this is found several places in the New Testament, but I'm just going to read this one. This is found in Ephesians 3.3. 3. Ephesians 3.3. 3. And in Ephesians 3.3, 3 it says, How that by revelation he, that is God, made known unto me, this is Paul writing, the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words. In other words, I've, walked, I've already talked about it, but only on a few words. Verse 4. Whereby, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. And here's what he says in verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And this is what it is. This is chapter verse 6 now that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. That is, partakers with the Jews, so that the Jews and the Gentiles are together as one. And that's what the church age. The church age is for whosoever will. The door is wide open. Anybody can be saved. Folks, I don't care what nationality, I don't care what background you have, I don't care what uh, the language you have, I don't care what culture you have, it doesn't matter with God. It doesn't matter at all. Only he wants us to believe in him and to repent of our sins, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with his spirit. For his spirit in us is, us in, is, is him in us. As us baptized is us in him. Praise the Lord. Just as I'm in the Father, the Father is in me, so shall I be in you and you in me. I'm just pointing all these things out to say that this is what the church age is in. So Jews and Gentiles can be saved. As a nation, though, Israel has rejected Christ as a people, as a whole. But there are Jews. There are Jewish people in this church. There are some Jewish people in this church that are saved. They have, you know, baptized Jesus in like, just like anyone else, the rest of us. Uh, but they're Jewish of nationality. I'm only telling you this to let you know anybody can be saved. And this was the mystery. Paul understood that. But when you get over here to Revelations chapter 10, and it says that the mystery of God should be finished, which means no more Gentiles are going to be saved. That's going to be finished. Because God is going to go back to dealing with the Jews. How do you know that, Brother Myers? I'm glad you asked. Look at chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. Leave that one out. Now let me talk to you a little bit about this measuring of the temple part here. Because what happens in this first verse, and it's mentioned here in, in verses 1 and 2, uh, of, of the book of Revelation and it refers to something over in the book of Ezekiel measuring the temple. What is measuring the temple? What's that all about? And it says here, there was given me a reed like unto a rod and the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God in the altar. 
Uh, I want you to go, if you would, with me over to Ezekiel chapter 40. This is where this happened to Ezekiel. To Ezekiel. In 40 and verse 1. I want you to look at this verse with me. In the fifth and twentieth year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the tenth day of the month, in the fourteenth year after that the city was smitten, after the city that was, was smitten, in the selfsame day the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me thither, in the visions of God brought me into the land of Israel. Now notice here that this was in a certain time in their captivity, and it says that here, and then there was given unto him, saying, here's a rod, now I want you to measure the city. And then the Lord gave him this measuring, and he began, and in the chapter 40 of the book of Ezekiel, 15 times the word is mentioned, measure this or measure that, and, and Ezekiel went through there measuring the temple. Now, here's the strange thing about it, there was no temple. There was no temple. Only in the vision, the temple had been destroyed 14 years before. Uh, this was happened in uh, 570, 574. And in 588, this is BC now, 574 BC. In 588 BC, just 14 years before, Nebuchadnezzar had come for the last time down into Palestine and had destroyed Jerusalem and the temple and leveled it to the ground. The temple was Solomon's temple. It had stood for 400 years. And the people of God had sinned so much and the Lord destroyed it. Now, why did God give Ezekiel this vision? Because Ezekiel was a priest and his interest was in the temple because he served in the temple when he was a young man and he was just starting out in his ministry in Israel. But in, in 599 B.C., he was captured by the Babylonians, taken over into Babylon, which is about 500 miles from Israel. He was taken over there. And while he was there, and this starts out with Ezekiel, the very first chapter. In that first chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel's out by the river, and he's with a lot of other uh, people that are working there, Jews, and they're been brought over there and they labor out in the fields. Daniel was in the courts of the kings. He was of, the, he was of David's lineage. He was of the kingship. But Ezekiel was, a, was of the priesthood. Now, a priest could never be a king, never could be a priest. It never could be, a priest could not be a king, king could not be a priest. And the priest dealt with the spiritual things of God. The king, king dealt with the natural and the empire things of God. So here's Ezekiel. And Daniel had already been there for seven years. And he had already been captured, was in the king's court. Many of you know the stories of Daniel, the seventh chapter, the visions he made, the interpretations he gave the king, so forth. Now here comes Ezekiel, and he's over there. And in that first chapter of Ezekiel, the Lord appears in the sky, and he's in a chariot of fire, and he's on a throne, and there's a rainbow on his throne, and there's the presence of God and cherub of angels, and they're all in the air. And Ezekiel thinks, what is God's presence doing over here in Babylon? He's supposed to be in the temple. He's supposed to be in Jerusalem. What's he doing over here? And so he sees all of this. And then in the eighth chapter of the book of Ezekiel, the Lord in a vision picks up Ezekiel 
and takes him over to Babylon, I mean over to, to Jerusalem rather, and shows him what he is about to do to that city and to the temple because with Ezekiel, okay, I, did you hear me? No. You hear me now? Okay. I don't I got a, we got a lot of new things around here, but this microphone is old as it. It's got an antenna on it that's been wired together and holding up. So somebody listening to me, get a, get a new mic or a new antenna or something for this thing. God bless you. I love you. But so Ezekiel has this experience. Let me just show you something. I'm going to go to Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 8 for a moment. Look at this. Ezekiel 8. I have a reason for telling you all of this. And it uh, says that he put forth the form of a hand and took me by the lock of mine hair and the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in, a, in the visions of God to Jerusalem. In verse four, behold, the glory of God of Israel was there according to the vision that was in the plain. In other words, what I saw in the plains over in Babylon, I saw over here in this vision in Jerusalem. But look at verse six. He said, therefore, unto me, son of man, seest thou what they do, even the great abominations that the house of Israel committed here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary? I'm going to leave my sanctuary is what he was saying. But turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. Look down at verse 13. And he said also unto me, he started showing them idolatry. He said unto them, turn yet thee again, and thou shalt see greater abominations that they do. And then down in verse 15, then said he unto me, hast thou seen this, O son of man? He's talking about the women weeping for Tammuz, who was a false god. Thou shalt see greater abomination than these. And they, he went on and he talked about how they worship the sun and on, on and on. So he starts describing these abominations. And then he tells Ezekiel, I'm going to withdraw my spirit, take my spirit out of the city. And he does all this in the eighth chapter. And then, <clears throat> so shortly after that, God has the Babylonians to go in there, kept, recapture Jerusalem for the third time. And this time, King Nebuchadnezzar said to the king, I've told you, if you'd pay your taxes and send us food and supplies and groceries and all those kind of things, and obey us, you'll be all right. You haven't done that. You've held back some stuff. And so this was the third time that he came in there. And this time he said, okay, you're going to pay the, the big price now. And he went there and he tore down the city, he burned it down to the wall. He tore down the temple, the beautiful temple of Solomon. It was, it was lined with gold on the inside, folks. There's one of the seven ancient wonders of the world was that temple of Solomon. It was rich in gold. It, all the furniture overlaid with gold in that temple. It was unimaginable, the wealth of it. They stripped all that stuff out, took it all back to Babylon, burnt the thing to the ground and everything. And this is what God showed Ezekiel. Now, when you get to the chapter 40, that temple is gone. And so then the Lord says here to Ezekiel, he says, rise now and measure the temple. And what God did was show him a vision of a temple that would one day be. That's the millennial period, the thousand years of peace. And he started giving it to him and he said, now measure it, measure it, measure it, measure it. And what he was measuring, the reason he said measure it 
is because what you don't have, one day I'm going to give to you. And just as sure as you're measuring it, you can measure it then when I give it to you because I'll keep my promise. God keeps his promise. But God will destroy a temple. I uh, want to throw this in for what it's worth. This is just for free. Uh, years ago, when I was first saved, they used to tell me, uh, the older saints would tell us younger people, you know, uh, God does not dwell in an unclean temple. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost, they would say to us. God does not dwell in an unclean temple. They'd say, remember now, keep your lives clean and holy before God. God does not dwell in an unclean temple. I went all my life thinking, you know, the Bible says God does not dwell in an unclean temple. One day after I was pastoring, years later when I was pastoring, I went looking for that verse of scripture so I could use it in teaching. God does not dwell in an unclean temple and it's not in there. Listen to me, there is no scripture in the Bible where it says God does not dwell in an unclean temple. I'm going to tell you what I did find. Hold on to your hat. I'm going to tell you what I did find. And this is, uh, let's see if I can find it now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is what I did find. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. <clears throat> now listen to me closely here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Okay, by that, Jesus Christ, when he was on earth, he was the temple of God. When he came, he was the temple of God. He said, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Speaking of himself. After Jesus ascended into heaven and he sent his spirit back, the temple became the people of God. So Paul is writing here, says, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and, let me turn the page. <coughs> Excuse me that the spirit dwelleth in you. Look at verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, God or him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. It doesn't say that God will not dwell in an unclean temple. I looked at this and it says, if any man defile the temple of God, him will God withdraw from. It doesn't say that. You understand what I'm saying? It says, if any man destroy the temple of God, him shall God destroy. And then I go back and look in the Old Testament, and that's exactly what happened when men, people sinned and sinned and sinned, and God withdrew from the temple in Jerusalem. He destroyed that temple. That temple was destroyed. It was destroyed by, by the Babylonians in 588 B.C. Later, that captivity went back to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel. They rebuilt the temple. In Jerusalem, it stood, it was later refurbished and called Herod's temple. It stood until Jesus came. And Jesus was there in and out of that temple, round about in that temple. And whenever they killed Jesus, and he left, when Jesus walked out through the, let me just say this, when Jesus walked through the eastern gate, for the last time, went out on the Mount of Olives and ascended into heaven. He's in his resurrected body and he's in, it was glorified. When that happened, later on that eastern gate was shut. It was sealed. And, and, and Ezekiel prophesies about that in the 43rd chapter of the book of Ezekiel. He prophesied about that gate being sealed. I've got pictures of it. I can show you all kind of pictures of that gate. I've been right there. I've looked right at it. It's sealed off. It's sealed off. It's been sealed for 2,000 years. 
Since Jesus, you know, went through that gate and walked out of seal, and it'll never be open till Jesus comes back again. It says that in Zechariah chapter 14, if you want to read it. Zechariah 14. And an earthquake will come and shake that thing open, open that gate, and the river will come out out of Jerusalem. I won't get into the detail of it. That's another Bible study, a series of Bible studies in itself. But I'm just trying to tell you here, folks, that all of this is in God's great plan. But God, praise the Lord, and now has put his spirit in the church, in us. We are, and just as he destroyed that early temple under Babylon, and then Jerusalem and the temple in Jesus' day, when Jesus had left, the Romans came in 70 AD, only 40 years after Jesus was there, and destroyed the temple and leveled it off and scattered the Jews and all the world. And that's where they have been since that time. There's been no temple there since then. No temple there. That's what the Jews want. This is, folks, what all that wrangle is all about over in Palestine. Those Arabs came in and built that mosque. Uh, it was called, first called the Mosque of Omar. Now it's called the, just called the, it's called the uh, Shrine of the Rock. Uh, they got Sharif, I think is what they call it. Now they're just Sharif. The Sharif sits there now, and you've seen it. It's got a gold dome and everything. And to the, to the Muslims, that's the third holiest spot on the face of the earth, next to Mecca, next to Medina, which is the city where they started out as uh, over in Saudi Arabia. This is the third holiest place on the face of the earth. But it's also holy to the Jews. The Jews want that building gone on that temple mount so they can rebuild their temple because they feel like the temple has to be rebuilt for the Messiah to come back. And this is what all this wrangling is all about. This is why this peace thing that they've talked, that just happened, what, a few days ago between the Arabs, and I think that our president was helpful in trying to get that put together, where the Palestinians give a little bit, the Jews give a little bit, and so forth. I don't know the total outcome of it, and I think they're still wrangling about it, and it probably won't hold. The Bible says when they cry, peace, peace, and sudden destruction, so... Who knows how, much, how long it'll last. But I am just trying to say that's what all of that's about. It's about that temple being because there is no temple. Now, when Ezekiel in chapter 40 starts measuring the temple, there was no temple then. There was no temple. And the temple that he was measuring and the dimensions he was giving is not the temple that Zerubbabel built and the one that Solomon refurbished. I mean, that, uh, that Herod refurbished. It wasn't that temple because the Jews know that. Now, let me read a little further. I'm going back to the book of Revelation. Going back here to the book of Revelation. This is what Revelation is all about. When it goes to chapter 11, <coughs> it's picking up some of that prophecy in the Old Testament. Just a, just a sentence or two. And we have to go back into the Old Testament to read it to get the whole picture of it. Let me just say one thing about the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Let's keep our temples clean. If any man defile the temple, him will God destroy. He didn't destroy the temple right away. He let it stand. In Solomon's time, it stood for a number of years. 40 years it stood after Jesus' time. There's a time of repentance, a time of correction. But if there's sin in your life, let me say this to the men. All you ladies can put fingers in your ear. Don't talk to the men just a minute here. Guys, Stay out of any pornographic, pornography. Stay away from that stuff like it is the pits of hell. Can I just use that word bluntly? 
If you don't like it, it's Hades, the same thing. It's the pits of Hades. Just stay out of that mess. That has drugged more good men down, whether they're saved or not saved. It doesn't, you know, stay out of that kind of a mess. Job said, I've made a covenant with mine eyes that would not look upon a maid. Job said that. If dear God, if he said it, we can say the same thing, you know. Make a, make a commitment to God. Walk with the Lord. Serve the Lord. When you're on the job, live for God. When you're out and about, live for God. When you're in the mall, walk uh, in a walk and live for God. When you're in uh, Walmart, walk with God. Wherever you go, walk with God. Praise the Lord. And uh, you ladies, walk with the Lord and serve God. Keep his commandments, amen. And I'm just trying to tell you here today that these things can get in our lives and if any man defile the temple, and you're the temple. You say, Brother Myers, I'm just an old sinner, saved by grace. That's exactly what we are, but God's put his spirit in us. Therefore, we have become the temple of God. Well, let's just lift our hands and thank him right now. Jesus, thank you for what you have given the church. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your spirit and putting it inside of us. Help us, Lord, not to defile this temple of the Holy Ghost. Help us to keep our lives clean and holy and godly. In Jesus' name, we praise and love you, God. Well, I just threw that one in. Let me move on here. Time is getting away from us. So this is what Revelation was referring to in chapter 11. I'm going to read that first verse again. And uh, it says, There was given me a reed like unto a rod, the same words that was used in Ezekiel's day, the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God in the altar. That's the place of worship. And them that worship therein, not only that, but the people. But the court which is without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. Now, let me give you another chart here real quick. This is a, uh, an artist's drawing of the temple of Solomon. Not Solomon, of uh, Herod, Herod's temple. This Herod's temple was what they called it. Herod was the king of Israel when Jesus was born. Uh, he was appointed by a Caesar. Jews never liked him because Herod's father was an Edomite. He was not a Jew. Herod the Great was only a half Jew. And so the Jews did not accept him as a legal, rightful king. And uh, because of that, Herod did a lot of things to try to make the Jews happy. One of the things was refurbish that temple that they had. He knew they loved their temple, so he refurbished it. This is an artist's drawing of it, of Herod's temple, as you can see up here. Now, look at this very closely here. This is the, uh, the temple here. This in here is called the court of the priesthood. This is called the court of the men in here. This out in here is called the court of the women Women could never, never go beyond here. Jewish men could go as far as here, but never beyond theirs. And then the priesthood could go inside this area here. And of course, the high priest went once a year into the temple. Only if they had duties did they go inside the temple. Now, if you'll notice here where my pen is, there's, a little, there's some steps. Let's see if you can see it. There's some steps going down. And out here is the court of the Gentiles. This goes all the way around this over here on the other side, and this is the other side of it here. So this is the court of the Gentiles out in here. And 
and the court of the women was in here and through here. Everybody get the picture? Now, this is the way the temple really was. It had the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles could go no further. I don't care if you're a man, woman, boy, girl, it doesn't matter. If you're a Gentile and you're not a Jew, you could not go any further than there. Women could go this far, the men could go this far, and so forth. Now, I, uh, even in Israel today, when they worship and pray, the women and the men are separated in their places against the wall where they worship and praise. Now, here's what it says here. I want you to look at this very closely here. This second verse. But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it's given unto the Gentiles. And this is the only place where it says that it is measure it not. In the book of Ezekiel, everything was measured, 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 because it's all about the Jews. Now we're going to talk about the Jews. And look what it says here. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Shall they tread under? And so this brings us then to this uh, other chart that we have here. Yes, where is it? Here it is. <laughs> uh, this one. Where 40 and two months, 40 and two months is three and a half years. So this is divided into two parts here. It's the 70th week. A week is seven years. This goes back to Daniel chapter seven. I won't get into details about it, but it deals with seven-year periods uh, to do with Daniel and prophecy and so forth. And that's a study within itself as well. But Daniel refers to it because this is the 70th week, and this shows up in the book of Revelation. And so there is seven years that's involved here, the first three and a half years and then the second three and a half years. The first three and a half years is a time when the Antichrist rises to power, and he rules half of the world but not all the world, part of it. And then in the last three and a half years, the Antichrist will rule all the world. It's also a time in his first three and a half years, God's two prophets uh, with him are sent uh, to the earth. Now, that's what we're going to read about right now. Everybody with me? All right. Look at verse uh, three. We ended there at verse two where it says, uh, they shall tread underfoot 40 in two months. Verse three. And they will have give power unto my two witnesses, two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. All right, forty and two months and a thousand two hundred and three score days is the same length of time. In other words, there is three and a half years. Another uh, reference to the three and a half years is a time, a times, and a half a time. Time is one year. Times, plural, is two years. That's three years together. And then a half a time is a half a year. So you got three and a half years as well that way. Now, look at verse three. And I will give power to my two witnesses and they should prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. These two witnesses, who are they? <clears throat> These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before God of the earth. We can go to Zechariah chapter four and in verse 11 through 14. And it'll tell us all about these candlesticks here. It's a prophecy of these two witnesses that will come to prophesy to the Jewish people and speak to the Jewish people and what they will be saying and so forth. Uh, I won't go to those verses and look at it, but that's what it has reference to. Look at verse five. If any man will hurt them, these two witnesses now, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. Wow. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. 
Look at verse six. These have power to shut the heavens that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. That was Elijah. And Elijah did that. And if you look in your notes there, uh, where it says that you're measuring the temple and the implication of the restoration of Israel. And as you can look at number two here, Revelations, uh, no more Gentiles saved. We've already talked about it. Look at verse three here is where we are. Three in your notes, I'm sorry. Right here is where we are. Everybody with me? All right. The two witnesses. And uh, if you look into the Zechariah 3, 14, talks about two witnesses. Matthew 17, they talks about these witnesses and so forth. Uh, let's go to Zechariah 4 for a minute. I was going to skip that, but let me go to it. Zechariah. No, I'm not going to go there. Let's, let's bypass that. I'm not going to go to deal with that. We don't have the time. That's what I'm looking at. I've only got five minutes left. Let's go to verse six. These have power to shut the heavens that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. They have power over water to turn them to blood. That's Moses. Moses. Uh, when Moses was on earth, he shut the water. The waters turned to blood smite the earth with all plagues as Moses did, lice, frogs, all kind of stuff as often as they will. So these two men is Moses and Elijah, and we know that because that it is brought out in the book of Matthew, right here. Right here, Matthew. Matthew 17, one through three on your notes. Uh, these are the scriptures here. There was Zechariah four and Revelation 11. So far, I won't deal with those. These two here, I won't try to go to them, but Matthew 17 is where Jesus appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah was there with him. Remember that? Okay. Everybody still with me? Have I lost anybody yet? All right. Okay, I'm trying to get to my point here. I'm trying to finish this up. And these have power, verse six, I'm gonna read this again in Revelation 11, six. These have power to shut the heavens that it rain not in the days of the prophecy. And have power over waters to turn them to blood and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Uh, one other verse. Let me have you look at the last, next to the last verse in the Old Testament. It's Malachi something there, I forgot. The next to the last verse. Uh, and this is a simple verse. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The great and dreadful day is Armageddon, not the coming of the Lord for, for his church. <clears throat> the dreadful day, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth. And this is what that's referring to over here in the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Elijah would be one of those. Now, look at verse 7. Here's what happens. And when they shall have finished their testimony after three and a half years, three and a half years, and what will their testimony be? Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He would tell the Jews, Jesus Christ was your Messiah. Who are you? I'm Elijah. How can you prove it? You can call fire down from heaven. Elijah did that, they, and he'll be able to do it again. <coughs> Who are you? I'm Moses. You turn dust into lies, turn water into, into blood as a proof of their identity. 
Amen. A lot of people like to claim that. I told you about the guy that walked one time down in the old church. He walked up there in the bathroom, flip-flops, and he was Elijah. And I said, I'm doubting Thomas. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I've told you that before. And I said, what can I do for you? He needed a ride. I said, wait about 10 minutes and I'll give you a ride. He had to go over the beach. I said, all right, I'll take you over there. He said, no, I don't have time for that. I said, okay, do what you want to do then. He said, isn't there a church over behind you there? There's a Catholic church over there. I said, yeah. He said, I'll go over there and see if I get a ride. I said, fine. <laughs> he left. But I'm just trying to say here that Moses and Elijah, when they show up, they'll show up with power and all of this in great glory. And they'll turn the hearts of the Jews back to Christ. They will believe them. They'll say, this is Moses and Elijah, because they know their scripture says Elijah will come back. They know that. And when they see them, they will say, why, what's your message? And they'll say, Jesus was your Messiah and you crucified him. And they'll say, oh, look in Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14. Uh, Zechariah 12, it is. Zechariah 12. 12, 9. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his only son. And then he goes on to say for the rest of the, the chapter, verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, that how that everybody goes apart and they all get on their face before God and they repent before God and Israel turns to God, and they become the Jesus-named people. And they are God's people on the face of earth from that point on. And now look at verse 7. I'm going to finish this part up. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottom of the spit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. That's, that's, that's Jerusalem. Which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. You can write Jerusalem right there in your Bible. They are the people, the kindreds, and the tongues. That's, that's the Gentiles now. Nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. They'll lie dead in the streets. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelleth on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And so Moses and Elijah were called up to heaven and, and went back to, to God. Praise the Lord. And the Jewish people from this point on are now the people of God. They believe in Jesus Christ. They believe he's the Messiah. And the Antichrist now goes to war against God's people who are the Jews, not the church, but the Jews, and says to them, I'm going to try to get rid of these guys, get rid of these people. And this is what materializes. And God begins to work with the Jews in a very special way and raises them back up to be his people in the end time. It will end with Armageddon. I'll get more into that. We've got some great lessons coming, folks. We're going to be talking about the Antichrist and the 13th chapter and many other things. Let's stand together and let's just thank God one more time. Aren't you glad you know the Lord?
Thank God for his word. Thank God for his truth. Thank God that you and I are a part of this wonderful plan of God and this kingdom of God on earth. Amen. Let's worship him. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to know you, to serve you, to live for you. Bless this congregation this morning. Be with us in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.